The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Hey, welcome along. August 12th, 2022. We now augment the recitation of the time zones with the date uh, by request of one of our Dublin members, Tony Allwright. Tony seems to be the only one who's digging it at the moment, but we uh, trust uh, uh, other persons are, whether in Dublin or elsewhere around the world. It's 3 p.m., 4 p.m., what am I on about? I'm an hour early or late. 4 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 5 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes. Half past five in beautiful Newfoundland and beyond the Americas. 9 p.m. in London. 10 p.m. in Copenhagen, where they've nixed the vaccine for under-18s. Uh, 11 p.m. in Kiev. Half past midnight in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran uh, to check out the half-hour time zone. Uh, 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. Uh, 4 a.m. in Sydney. 6 a.m. Uh, 4 a.m. in Singapore. Big pardon. 6 a.m. in Sydney. 8 a.m. in Auckland. And 8.45 45 a.m. in the Chatham Islands. What a civilized hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri. Uh, as I said, it's uh, August the 12th, 2022. That's just for Tony Allwright's uh, benefit. Uh, Vladislaus III, Duke of Bohemia and Margrave of Moravia, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you, died 800 years ago today, August 12th, 1222, which I mentioned mainly because his mother was Queen Judith, daughter of Landgrave Louis I of Thuringia. And as I mentioned on the Mark Stein Show on Wednesday, over 400 doctors in Thuringia have called for all the COVID vaccines to be stopped. So I'm glad to see that Thuringia is still making news across almost a millennium. It's a third of a century uh, since Valentine's Day 1989, a day for lovers, uh, and on a day when the world's uh, hearts turn to thoughts of love, we all want to hear from Ayatollah Khomeini, and he celebrated Valentine's Day 1989 by uh, putting a fatwa on Salman Rushdie's head for his uh, blasphemous novel, uh, so-called The Satanic Verses. Uh, they have killed uh, translators and publishers, but not until today did the Monsters of Islam manage to reach the blasphemer direct. He was giving a talk in western New York State, just uh, about 50 miles south of Buffalo, I think, uh, and a man got on the stage and stabbed him in the neck and elsewhere, what is being reported as 10 to 15 times. 
It certainly looks serious in the photographs as Sir Salman lay on the stage. First responders held up his legs to improve blood flow to the heart. He was then helicoptered to hospital. He is at this hour in surgery and we have no further word on his condition. But they never forget and they never stop trying. You know, on Wednesday... Uh, Yasmin Mohammed and I had the kind of conversation on Islam uh, that you don't hear on British television. Uh, so the first thing that happened immediately afterwards is that some prominent Muslim tweeted that he was going to Ofcom about it. Uh, Ofcom is the UK telly regulator. I'm already in trouble with them because of the COVID vaccine stuff. Uh, so <laughs> you can imagine how thrilled I am uh, that I, they're now going to come after me. Uh, they'll get me on one thing or the other. I shouldn't think the show is long for this world, given the regulatory environment in the UK. But it's interesting to me because with Islam, it's all about the big shut up. If you're lucky, uh, they just go to Ofcom and get Ofcom to shut you up. If you're not so lucky, you're giving a speech at a nice civilized literary festival and suddenly... There's an Islamic psycho on stage lunging at you with his blade. But they're merely different points on the same continuum. Shut up, shut up, shut up. We don't want to debate you. There's no need for a debate. It's Islam. So there's no debates. There's nothing to debate. What part of that don't you get? Uh, we're going to go to Ofcom. And if Ofcom doesn't do what we want, then we're going to stab you. That's how it goes. Uh, this culture... I don't think it's really a religion at all. There's very little contemplation of the divine uh, beyond the Shagadelic virgins. Otherwise, it's a very earthbound religion. It's full of stuff about, uh, you know, the best way to beat your missus and that kind of thing. Um, this culture cannot withstand the slightest criticism. And the, and the shut-up business is what they're in. So they wait a year, five, ten, twenty, thirty, thirty-three, and an opportunity emerges. As I say, the stabber and the Ofcom guy are on the same continuum. Um, but, you know, it's catching on because people see that this kind of thing is effective. Um, I saw, for example, uh, that uh, a tweet from uh, another excitable Mohammedan said the next one was going to be Heard Wilders uh, for whose book I wrote an introduction a couple of years ago. Um, but it's not just about Islam anymore. Immediately after the Rushdie stabbing, a tweeter called A.D. Tries tweeted at J.K. Rowling, you're next. So just as the West is getting more Chinese in our attitudes to core Western liberties, such as freedom of expression and freedom of movement, the Western left is also getting more Islamic in its enthusiasm for political violence. Okay, uh, that's uh, my instant response to what happened to Sir Salman earlier uh, today. Uh, we wish him well, obviously. He has lived with this a long time and it has undoubtedly damaged his career. Um, he has lived under circumstances that none of us would wish to live. He has tried to escape it. He has tried to live a normal life as much as possible. And then what happened today happened. 
Um, we wish him well, and we will return to this story. Uh, but we're going to get to your questions. Uh, you know how this works. Uh, anybody, anywhere can listen to the show. You only have to be a Mark Sign Club member if you want to ask a question. So if you don't want to ask a question, no need to join the club. But we thank those who have joined. And if you want to join in the next hour, we'll try to hustle your question to the front of the line. Elissa Angel writes, It might have been you, Mark, who said that the worst book review in history was when the Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa against Salman Rushdie's satanic verses. I don't think that was me, actually. Elissa, bit, bit bit glib for me, even at, even at the time, even as a callow youth in the 80s. After decades in hiding and with constant security, someone stabbed Rushdie today as he was being introduced before giving a speech. Would you believe the only mention of the attacker in the entire article I read was the attacker was restrained. There was no description of the attacker. Would you venture a guess? Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm already in trouble with Ofcom uh, for talking about the problems at the intersection of uh, Pakistani Muslim men and white working class girls. I seem to have drawn all kinds of random conclusions from the fact that large numbers of the men convicted for raping those girls are called Mohammed. And of course, it's completely ridiculous to draw conclusions from that. They might just be, uh, you know, uh, Presbyterians or whatever. Uh, so uh, I certainly don't want to go anywhere near uh, speculating on who it was stabbed Salman Rushdie. Most likely it was some guy in a MAGA hat, don't you think? Some guy mad uh, about those uh, FBI fellas raiding... Uh, uh, Mrs. Trump's uh, wardrobe in hopes of finding the nuclear codes to the United States nuclear arsenal hidden in her brassiere and thong, because uh, that would explain why we weren't able to win in Afghanistan, is that all the stuff that would have delivered victory was smuggled out in Mrs. Trump's smalls. Uh, I looked at some of the things that were being... I, I, I checked The Guardian and then... Or, or was it the BBC? I can't remember anymore. But I checked one of those kind of sites and I, I, and they had a thing on how, you know, uh, celebrities were supporting Salman Rushdie. And uh, they, were, they were saying, this is how... This, this, is, this is a terrible thing. In, in succession, the first thing we have is people are criticizing the FBI and then Salman gets stabbed, right? As if these are, as if these are related things. And actually, <laughs> say what you like about Salman Rushdie, but he was sufficient of a conventional lefty to be amused by the fact that when he was being protected by, I think it was special branch from the Metropolitan Police... Although it might actually have been MI5 guys, because he said rather drolly, um, it's not uh, it's it's not normal for a writer to get to know Britain's secret police as well as I've done, because he he knew them by he was on a first name term with the guys he called Britain's secret police, and that's a better attitude. That's how a left wing writer is supposed to think about officialdom. Flash forward a third of the century, and we now have whoever it was, you know, this some American writer, uh, putting the stabbing of Rushdie 
and the public criticism of the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt FBI as similar phenomena. No, they're not. They're complete opposites. You're actually taking an Islamic approach to the FBI. I mean, I wish I, I suppose I should go up and see what, look up what Clever Clog's writer this was. Um, but this, uh, just as just as Islam is beyond criticism from the likes of Salman Rushdie, so apparently the FBI is now some kind of religion, religious faith, and you're not to disrespect it by criticizing uh, the legitimacy of the FBI. So even what 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 I'm floundering around getting to the point here, but what concerns me is that Salman's friends on this are not really his friends. They're being, uh, they're conflating it with stupid things because they're not thinking about it clearly. It's a very particular thing, this. As I said, a lot of people on the left have learned from Islam, which is why they're threatening to kill J.K. Rowling and what have you on Twitter. Um, but these are not the same. These are not the same things. The idea that you can't and and here's here's why they're not the same things. You can say what you like about Trump. Um, you can say anything you want about Trump. You could publish a novel in which someone plots the assassination of Trump and carries it out. You could do that, and you could get Random House or Simon and Schuster or anybody to publish it. Uh, you can't get a novel about Islam published by any mainstream publishing house. That's the big difference. Nobody would publish the Satanic Verses today. There, there was rightly solidarity back then when some wimpo American bookstore said they were going to stop carrying the Satanic Verses. Stephen King then, who was a much bigger selling writer than uh, Salman Rushdie, obviously, said in that case he was going to see to it that that bookstore can't, couldn't carry any of his books. But what's happened since then, this is the big change, and I can't emphasize this enough, is you cannot get any kind of honest book about Islam published by a mainstream publishing house. And that is, and as we see in the news reports here, you know, it's not going to be a big surprise who turns out to have attacked Salman Rushdie. It really isn't going to be some uh, Trumpian MAGA-supporting, knuckle-dragging, country-music-listening, barbecue-eating guy from Alabama. He might be a guy from Alabama, but he'll be a guy from some mosque in Alabama. We know, all know that. That's what's so boring about this. I, I look at this Ofcom complaint, which, you know, I can't even be bothered responding to these things. But, uh, you know, they don't want... I'm talking to Yasmin Mohammed, right, who has this in common with the girls of Oldham and the girls of Telford and the girls of Rotherham, is that she was on the other side of the world in British Columbia... And uh, the dominant male Muslim figure in her childhood beat the crap out of her again and again and again and again. And people don't want to talk. People just think this is this is one thing that's gotten so much better since we we don't have to issue fatwas against uh, writers anymore because the publishers don't want to publish those writers. What a terrible thing. 
Terrible, terrible thing. Diane Calabresi uh, says, oh, actually, I say, because Diane begins by quoting me, it has been a terrible and consequential week in America. And yet again, the right is four steps behind what the regime is up to. That's what Mark Stein was saying. And Diane says, sums it up succinctly, sadly but only sums it up if the right is not mostly on it. Either way, it is terrible and consequential. Well, I, I look on what happened. Why, why what happened this week is disturbing is because in a functioning uh, democratic society, and that's not an invitation for you guys with your constitution, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. I'm using, unless you want to talk about Switzerland, I'm using democracy in the way Winston Bloody Churchill used it as a shorthand for what we used to call the free world. And uh, you, it is not something that in a functioning democratic society, such as Denmark or Norway, uh, a ruling party would do to its political opposition unless it was pretty confident it was not going to be out of power ever again. And I find, I find the timing of this more interesting than any of the stuff, you know, whether it's about... The nuclear, I mean, the, the nuclear thing is just rubbish. Trump apparently, we're, we're being asked to believe now that Trump uh, somehow took enough nuclear classified material that he can actually build nukes in Mar-a-Lago uh, in a bunker underneath the bunker of his golf club. And he can, and he's actually building nukes down there with the stuff he stole from the Oval Office. I mean, this is this is too stupid even for the American media. But it's being played seriously, and it's being taken seriously in a lot of the so-called conservative media. But what is more interesting than that is the timing. You know, if Trump took this, Trump hasn't been anywhere near the White House, in a over a year and a half now. He left early. He left a day early. He, uh, he left a day before his term was due to finish, so he didn't have to welcome Joe Biden into the place. Uh, so anything he took, uh, they could have gone and raided uh, Mrs. Trump's knickers, uh, which is apparently something these FBI guys get their jollies from, he could have gone and raided Mrs. They could have gone and raided Mrs. Trump's knickers at least a year ago, fifteen months ago. They waited until three months before the midterms. They waited, in fact, until Twitter just ushered in its new pre-election <laughs> uh, pre-election disinformation rules. So Twitter's just said we're well, now three months from the midterms, so we're going to be extra careful about who we kick off Twitter. And you know, if you watch my show, they kick these poor vaccine victims. People who are saying, it was a year ago today that my dad died. I'll never forget seeing him as he went off to the hospital and I wasn't allowed to be in the hospital with him. He took the uh, AstraZeneca shot and he died a year ago. Oh, fake news, disinformation, misleading. Uh, today, Twitter is full of guys called Mohammed. 
congratulating the fella in Western New York for stabbing Salman Rushdie. That's not in breach of anything at Twitter. You can say, oh, congratulations at stabbing the apostate Rushdie. It is marvelous. And now I hope you move on and get it, Wilders. <coughs> Those guys, they never have to worry about being taken down by Twitter. And now Twitter's moved into its pre-election mode, so it's going to be even more censorious. Don't forget, this is the same Twitter that suppressed the Hunter Biden story last time. You know, so, so the reason I'm, I'm fearful... Well, let's just take the obvious thing, the red wave. Remember that, that we used to get talked about people say, oh look at the polls the red wave yeah well there isn't an election today so who gives a crap about the lousy polls let me know if you've got a poll uh when there is an election on and we'll see how it adds up but we're now three months from election day and according to the i just checked them at real clear politics you got polls showing a uh, net advantage to democrats of seven points um, and uh, it's looking like 46-46 in the Senate with eight toss-up seats. Uh, and they uh, look at those toss-up seats that, uh, you know, four look as if they uh, are very pale blue and four look as if they're very pale red. So in other words, according to the latest polling, there is no red wave coming. So what it looks uh, as if is... as if happened is that the democrats have arranged this raid on trump just as their kickoff for hardcore election season now i don't know what else they've uh, arranged uh, uh, I, I saw today in the american press reporting that uh, gas is back down below four bucks a gallon and people <laughs> People go, wow, I can't believe it. I only paid three ninety eight a gallon uh, for, for, for gas uh, today. Um, so we're moving into the pre-election phase. And as I said, this is not something in a normal functioning democratic society that, uh, that a, a government would do to its political opposition unless it were pretty confident that their governing party is not going to be in opposition, no way, no how, and not for a long, long, long time. And I look at this crap, you know, I don't like to just pick on certain Fox News hosts, but you know, I've been mocking, uh, and I'm not saying anything I haven't said on Fox, I said it to Tucker. And Tucker agreed with me that uh, we, we both did the, oh, our good friend Sean Hannity, yeah, when he does this, oh, there's just a few bad apples at the top and 99% of these straight-shooting G-men are a credit to the, you know. it's And, and, and today, uh, this week, he actually did, oh, it's not 99. I know I used to say 99%. It's now 95%. You're absolutely out of it. You're absolutely out of it. It's a corrupt, no one prospers in that organization because it is corrupt. And it's corrupt all over the map. And if you know anything about how the, and I had the, you know, I was interviewed by the FBI in uh, connection with a certain uh, 
matter, uh, whatever it was. And what year are we? Well, this would be four years ago, something like that, I guess, maybe five years ago. And if you know anything about how the FBI operates, it's bad that there's corruption at the top because they're the guys who are meant to tamp down when some branch office in Cedar Rapids goes galloping after something and they all get crazy obsessed with it. It's this, It's it's the guys at head office who are supposed to look at it dispassionately and say, nah, we don't think so. You, you fellas have got carried away. But right now, that we all we hear about are stories where the FBI gets carried away and does things that it should not be doing. And we all know as well, you know, what's the reason they're, they're going there? And, I, you know, there's no legitimate reason for going through Mrs. Trump's knickers. It's not the behavior of a professional police force. It's the behavior of an out-of-control police force, it doesn't, uh, you know, as we know, it doesn't record the interviews it does with people, so you can get sent to jail for what is basically a, 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 if, if someone notes that you lied to them, and they take it down in what are supposed to be contemporaneous notes, but often aren't contemporaneous, uh, and you'll go to jail. It's, it's crap from top to toe. And and we're still and now it's done something unprecedented in the history of the republic, and the most powerful man uh, on the conservative uh, in in the in the in conservative media since Rush died, Sean Hannity, uh, says, "Oh no, ninety-five percent of them are still Eagle Scouts. I'd trust them with my life. I know law enforcement." <sighs> It's pathetic, this. They've, they've, the, the regime has raided the home of the opposition leader. I talked to Michelle Buckman, and Michelle Buckman didn't think they were above planting evidence. That's the FBI. And so we have, you know, I'll say one other thing while I'm sort of rambling about this. But one of the things I've enjoyed... Uh, about the last few months at GB News is, for example, we uh, we noted that this uh, village uh, had been targeted for receiving 1,500 so-called asylum seekers. That's a story that goes on a lot in America. They mysteriously place all the people coming across the southern border, they seed them in places and transform those communities. As you'll know, if you've ever been to Lewiston, Auburn in Maine. And uh, so they were going to try something like that uh, with a little village in North Yorkshire. And uh, we gave it some publicity. We interviewed the local activists. Uh, that's Olga, who we've seen on the show many times. Uh, we've, uh, we interviewed the local MP. We interviewed various other people. And uh, they backed off. And that scheme has been abandoned. Uh, then we had the thing where we started interviewing uh, victims of the vaccine. And oddly enough, uh, they'd been waiting 18 months, hadn't heard anything. They, many of them were destitute. Many of them were drowning in medical bills. Many of them uh, were having to sell their homes, had been unable to work. They'd lost the breadwinner in the family. 
And uh, after we'd been covering the story for whatever it was, six, seven weeks, finally uh, the British government awarded compensation to people. And of the first 10 people to be notified that they would be compensated, uh, I think it was six, six of them had appeared on the Mark Stein show. And then we had uh, this thing where they weren't going to do, what was it, uh, an... Uh, uh, an inquiry into which I don't particularly think will lead to anything, but we were we gave so much publicity to Oldham Council blocking any inquiry uh, that now uh, there's apparently going to be. So we we win these small victories, and it's kind of nice. And it used to happen uh, when I was in Canada too, with getting the repeal of the um, of Section 13. It doesn't happen in America. And it, there's something sad about the way uh, when you become politically active, all it does is it means you're writing huge checks to uh, to 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 uh, various institutions. You're writing huge checks to think tanks or whatever it is, uh, or maybe you're just uh, supporting some fella you hear on the radio or the telly, and it never actually translates even into modest victories uh, for little for for little groups of people. So the reaction. I mean, it's all been, been a parody this week. The reaction of Conservative Inc. and the Republican Party is, oh, God, did you hear? They raided Trump's, they raided Trump's house. This is going to be great for our fundraising. Send money now to sendmoneynow.com. And it was like the, the FBI had barely left the building. And already, send money now to send... Show how disgusted you are by uh, the raid on uh, Trump's uh, resort at Mar-a-Lago by sending money now to sendmoneynow.com. Don't hesitate. Uh, that will show the regime how much you're not going to put up with this. Send money now to sendmoneynow.com. They've got all the money they need. Uh, these broadcasting uh, institutions have all the money they need. What we need is actually to see some results. And it's been kind of depressing, uh, particularly this, because this take, don't, don't forget, you know, we hear all this is the threat from Kevin McCarthy is, oh, <laughs> let me tell you, Merrick Garland, you better hold on to your paperwork, because when you see what's coming in November, you are going to be facing the mother of all investigations. So you better make sure you've got every memo, every fax. Uh, they're all piled up in triplicate, because we're going to want to, we're going to investigate. When, when did that actually do anything? for the Republicans, investigating everything. When, when, did, when did it lead to something? I'm just talking modestly here. When did it lead to something like, uh, the, like the abandonment of the Linton-on-Ooze asylum seeker scheme, or the Oldham grooming gang inquiry, or the vaccine victim payouts? I mean, at a certain point, you know, I mean, these are huge sums of money. That nice lady who was the activist uh, on the Linton or News thing, she didn't get any money of that. She wasn't being paid, you know, four million quid a year to, to uh, head up that campaign. You know, we're, we're facing the, 
we're we're fairly advanced now in the death of the republic uh because we're seeing things that no true republic would do they're criminalizing opposition and so one result of that and and they've got half the republican party with them on that you know they can't primary everybody and they'll maybe they'll pick off a few prominent figures who put their heads way too far above the parapet like liz cheney or whatever and they'll pick them off but we're not seeing you know the investigate kevin mccarthy threatening investigations isn't going anywhere and when the more you hear about that curious period november december uh january the the uh, peaceful transition of power don't make me laugh uh it, this time round um where mcconnell is on the other side and he's saying if you pardon julius julian assange i'm going to let them impeach you and remove you from office even if it's only uh, three days before your term ended right that's mcconnell you know what do what what these these republicans basically uh so far these guys they did something that again shouldn't happen in a functioning democratic society uh, where the the regime in power targeted its political opposition and it in fact used the five eyes uh in intelligence networks that used mi6 guys and australian guys to get people close to trump while they were out of the country so that way the deep state didn't have its own fingerprints on it they used italian intelligence uh, too so they did all that uh, and it still didn't prevent him being elected in november so then they used the peaceful transition of power to get him uh mire him in this phony baloney russian investigation and hobble the trump uh term imagine how much trump could have done if he hadn't been hobbled by all this rubbish so they basically nullified not totally but in large part the result of that election then they managed to change all the rules for the 2020 election and now they're taking it to the next level and again i don't see any this is none of this is normal none of what happens in elections is normal by as i said i'm not i'm just talking about denmark or france or wherever you want to name as i think i said on tv apologize to sudan because sudan doesn't have the election shenanigans that america uh does with these things it may, it has coups and it has uh, forces the military from power and things like that but it doesn't have uh when it does an election it doesn't have an election with so many laughable things here and this is and this is why the the, the republican establishment and national review and those big washington think tanks they're not equal to the scale of what the nation is facing and it's and it's fairly horrible to have to say that but they're absolutely terrible uh, terrible about it uh let's see what do we got here in the way of uh questions because i got uh, a little carried away on uh, that one um uh, well let's have a look at this one this is quite a long one from heart 
Good afternoon, Mark. I pray all is going well in your tribulations with Ofcom. The raid on Trump's home and the 87,000 armed IRS cops poised to pounce caused me to revisit Scholzenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago. Um, yeah, let me just make another point on that. You know, um, I think that's the other interesting thing, too, is that at some point, you know, because they're, they're doing this fair, ever more brazenly. They've gotten more and more and more brazen. And Michelle Buckman and I were, were talking about the FBI raiding the home of a former president and not being above planting evidence. Well, what else might they do? Um, suppose the next time they raid it, he and Melania are there. Do you think these guys are really above shooting Trump and claiming he was resisting arrest? I don't. I don't. I think this is an evil institution, and I don't think there's any bottom to its evil. When you look at the way it's willing to destroy, it's confident uh, because of the, the media. And, the, you know, you, I'm not even talking about political media. I'm talking about that wanker who does The Late Show, whatever. He's, what's that guy called? The fellow who, uh, what's he, what is it? Stephen Colbert. Uh, you know, he's saying he thinks the Trump raid is like Christmas. But again, this isn't normal for so-called mainstream entertainers on non-political channels. And they're talking about a, uh, a, 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 an unprecedented raid in the quarter millennium history of this country as being like Christmas to them. Uh, anyway, Hart, uh, Hart continues. Um, uh, he, was, he said he uh, was revisiting Schultz and Itzin, my uh, former neighbor. <laughs> I was on the New Hampshire side of the river. He was on the Vermont side of the river in Cavendish, Vermont. Uh, and he, uh, he and I had the same piano tuner because there aren't a lot of piano tuners. Anyway, he says uh, chapter one of the Gulag Archipelago is entitled Arrest, and it portrays the sheep-like acquiescence of those arrested. How most thought that the arrest was a mistake and could be corrected if they could only explain themselves. Others, a large number, numbly believe that they themselves must have done something wrong. Otherwise, the state would not have acted as such. Solzhenitsyn stated, and how we burned in the camps later, thinking, what would things have been like <coughs> if every, sorry, must be coming down with either the Omicron or the monkeypox. Uh, what would things have been like if every security operative, when he went out at night to make an arrest, had been uncertain whether he would return alive and had to say goodbye to his family? Or if during periods of mass arrests, as for example in Leningrad, when they arrested a quarter of the entire city, people had not simply sat there in their lairs, paling with terror at every bang of the downstairs door, and at every step on the staircase, but had understood there nothing left to lose and had boldly set up in the downstairs hall an ambush of half a dozen people with axes, hammers, pokers, or whatever else was at hand. After all, you knew ahead of time that those blue caps were out at night for no good purpose, and you could be sure ahead of time that you'd be cracking the skull of a cutthroat. Or what about the Black Mariah sitting out there on the street with one lonely chauffeur? What if it had been driven off 
or its tyres spiked. The organs would have very quickly have suffered a shortage of officers and transport, and notwithstanding all of Stalin's thirst, the cursed machine would have ground to a halt. But nothing like this can happen here, says Hart. Kevin McCarthy has promised overnight investigations or some such rot after the November wave. How long do you think it will take the press to denounce the new McCarthy hearings? Is there anything positive anywhere? I would say, uh, you, you know, people say, well, why are you using Soviet comparisons? Because there aren't actually a lot of comparisons with uh, previous free societies that you can make that hold up because you, this stuff just doesn't happen. And where the uh, Soviet comparison works is, is, is in the massive force that the alphabet agencies can bring to bear when they go to uh, raid someone, anyone, not necessarily the president, just like this gubernatorial candidate. You know, when Britain was powerful, it was in an age of small government. So, as I always point out, it governed Sudan, which is huge, with just a few dozen civil servants. It was the old joke by Bismarck when he was asked what he would do if the British army invaded. He said he'd send the Hamburg police force to arrest them, and he was sneering at how small the British army was. That's because Britain was powerful in an age of small government. So there weren't there weren't tons and tons and tons of people in every branch of government who could just crush you. Now here, uh, in under the contemporary US model, you have agencies which are bigger. They have more firepower than many European Union armies. I mean, what would terrify you more? The FBI showing up on your front door or, say, a Belgian regiment? I mean, it's no contest. And that's that's the why the Soviet comparisons are so alarming, because it's it is their ability to kill you. Uh, and they're not shy about it. I mean, no, they were never called on things. Oh, Waco, Waco, uh, there's some town in Texas. The kids are being molested. Okay, uh, let's send somebody over there to kill all the kids. You know, uh, they, they, they never pay any price for that. Do you think they'd pay a pr this gubernatorial candidate who uh, they managed to, to end the career of? Uh, do, do you think they'd pay any price if they'd somehow accidentally put a bullet in him? It's that bad. It's that bad. Uh, Joe McInerney says, agency heads in the U.S. government, along with the president of the United States, whoever that is, since we honestly don't know who is running the country, keep telling us they are ignoring the rule of law and the Constitution since they're following international rules of law. So, Mark, besides telling us they're not peeing on our leg and telling us it's raining, is this the end or the beginning of a total upheaval in America, and which way do you think it will go? Well, I think as long as the only opposition is Kevin McCarthy... You know, and again, I look at what's happened. I, would, I was thinking the other day, I would love to hear Rush on this. But we don't have Rush anymore. And uh, as I've made the point before, too much of uh, conservative uh, commentary is just reactive. 
so, and I don't just mean when they do, oh, uh, X-Men 37 is out this weekend. Uh, who's your favorite superhero? There's too much of that. But it's just that they think the purpose of these shows now is just, oh, AOC said something stupid. Uh, what do you think of the stupid thing that AOC said today? We're going to mock her for the full three hours. Right? And that means that when something like this happens, uh, you're just reactive to that too. The Democrats aren't being reactive. They're, they've moved on from the Trump raid and they're planning their next thing. And that's why, again, I, I think it would be, I think it's much more interesting. Personally, I, I don't want to do these. I, I, as I've said before, I stopped doing Fox because of that, because I was sick of, you know, oh, Andrew Cuomo said something stupid about his dog, go on and talk. No, you're losing the... You, somebody who loves this country more than anyone, and he loves the Constitution, and he... Uh, and and he's I won't I, you know his name but I don't want to give his name because he said in confidence and he just says to me now he just clutches you, your arm and says we're losing we're losing the country we're losing the country so you can't this whole oh AOC said something stupid let's all laugh at her because nobody who matters is laughing at her so that isn't going to work that isn't going to work for you. Um, let's, uh, let's have a little musical interlude just as a palate cleanser from this. But that's it. You know, these shows ought to be about, uh, ought to be working ahead to thinking about what's really going on here. As I said, I don't think they would be doing this if they thought they were going to lose the midterms or 2024. These are the actions of a regime that's fairly confident it's got those in the bag. Um, but we'll come to back to that in a, uh, in a minute. Uh, as you know, Olivia Newton-John died earlier this week. We uh, broke it on Monday's Mark Stein show. And a lot of the songwriters you've gotten to know at Stein Online uh, have uh, written for Dame Livy over the years. John Farrer and Hank Marvin from The Shadows uh, had a tune that my uh, my friend Don Black loved, and Don put a lyric to it, and Olivia wound up with a sort of countryish hit with it, Sam. It was, uh, I think it was number one in Canada, number six in the UK, big hit on the Billboard charts. Gary Osborne, who was on the Mark Stein show just the week before last, um, Olivia sang his lovely ballad, Amoureuse, a French tune with Gary's English lyric, although it was uh, Kiki D who had the hit with it. But before any of those guys, Olivia used to write her own songs. The old music biz line on Livy was that if white bread could sing, it would sound like Olivia Newton-John. But in fact, her childhood was tougher than you might think. Her dad was an MI5 officer, the fellow who took Rudolf Hess into custody, which is quite something. Uh, but uh, but the marriage faltered, and uh, her parents bust up when she was 11. Young Livy was a lonely girl, and even more so after the divorce. But here is a 23-year-old Olivia Newton-John channeling her own experience of that unhappy time into a song called Changes. We've said a million times we change Can't bring myself to say those words again 
John song she wrote the words and music Olivia Newton-John sings Olivia Newton-John little bit of a sting in the tail there she's waiting at the gate but lots of direct observation by a child of divorce in the run-up to it don't know the proper words to say he won't be seeing daddy every day those weekly outings never work you know buying gifts and candy picture shows it's better done than a lot of efforts by full-time songwriters. Uh, I wish Dame Livy uh, had written more. I was also sorry to hear that Anne H., after that fiery car crash a few days ago, died a couple of hours back uh, this very day. She had been pronounced brain dead, and her life support was then switched off. She was a very good actress, who came nowhere near to fulfilling her potential. I met her a few years ago when she was in her post-lesbian phase and married to a person of the opposite sex, Coley Lafoon. She and Mr. Lafoon came to a speech of mine in California and uh, both claimed to have enjoyed it, and that was uh, very sweet of her. Miss H was smart and engaged and very blonde, uh, she was like a completely blonde thing, not just the hair, uh, but everything. Uh, she was also uh, damaged. She had had a terrible, ruinous upbringing, abused uh, by her father, estranged from her mother, uh, who couldn't uh, be honest about the abuse, 
and with three of her four siblings dead at a very early age. And uh, she had uh, has now joined them. Uh, you have to feel for Anne H's mother, who has outlived four out of five uh, children. Um, so it was a childhood very few of us, I think, would have recovered from. And so the damage and the fragility uh, were palpable, but she was also very beautiful and so there was no shortage of chaps who either didn't care about the damage or somewhat rarer were willing to have a go at reversing it. Uh, everyone thinks they can do that particularly if you're extremely beautiful um, but it's more uh, difficult than you might think and the beauty just distracts you from that really. She wasn't glamorous I didn't think but she was vivacious and I made her laugh uh, so much at one point <laughs> that she had to steady herself from falling uh, backwards, uh, which did me a power of good, I must say. What a sad and pitiful end. Uh, 53 years old. Rest in peace, a beautiful, uh, troubled lady. Frank Gallenstein says, Hi, Mark. Atlas has not shrugged, but has fallen flat on his face and been crushed by the weight. The US is now officially just another banana republic. We have a weak attorney general uh, who looks like he's about to have a nervous breakdown. I was expecting him to cry at yesterday's press conference. Meanwhile, we have a president who cannot even dress himself, uh, let alone run the show, which begs the question, who is running the show? Yeah, I don't even think, I think I said this about the Banana Republic on Monday and I was thinking about it. And again, it's really the scale here. Uh, you can't compare what's going on to a Banana Republic because Banana Republics are constrained by, uh, even, even when they crank themselves up and to a semi-functioning Banana Republic, they don't have the all-powerful resources. Don't forget... Uh, the United States is the most powerful surveillance state on Earth. Uh, it it ha it photographs every single piece of mail that you send to you send you send a birthday card to your granny. Uh, there's there there are records of this. There are records of every telephone conversation. There are, there's metadata stored for everything. It's the perfect surveillance state. Uh, and so when so you, you can't really compare it with a banana republic because you're you're saying yes it has the political mores of Venezuela but it has an unlimited budget uh, and it and it has surveillance tools that nobody else on earth has and i think one way to look at it. Well, let me just tie it in with a, uh, another question from Lawrence. It's either Lawrence Jarvik, unless he pronounces it Yarvik or Yervik or something. But uh, Lawrence Jarvik writes, uh, Mark, could you comment on the connection between the Rushdie stabbing, despite trillions spent on homeland security, and the global war on terror since 9-11, and the FBI raid on President Trump's home in Florida, Mar-a-Lago. Does it look to you like Brandon's rapprochement with Iran and surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan, combined with an anti-Trump jihad by the federal government, might have given them the idea they might be free to act on Rushdie now? 
Well, I think when you say despite trillions spent on homeland security and the global war on terror since 9-11, what you, you, the assumption behind that is that somehow the trillions spent on homeland security and the war on terror were meant to do something about the threat posed by Islam, or however you want to qualify it, radical Islam or Islamism or whatever. I don't do any of those things anymore because I think, you know, whatever, I think Islam generally is, poses the challenge uh, and you don't want to overthink it as it were. Um, but you're assuming that that was the intent of all the trillions spent on homeland security. No, it wasn't. Americans shuffle like a great shoeless herd um, because uh, through their airports and they if if unless their uh, pumpkin pie that they're taking home to grandma for Thanksgiving is of a particularly dried out consistency if it's got too much moisture on it that pie will have to be uh, thrown away before you get on the Thanksgiving flight you wouldn't be doing that if you were serious about dealing with the actual challenge that manifested itself on 9-11. Instead, what's happened is that, and this is again why the scale of what's happening in America is so terrifying. Now, I've got a, I'm not perfect on everything, but I did oppose the creation of the Department of Homeland Security. And I mocked the late Mr. Minetta, the transportation secretary, uh, because he was unwilling. He, he thought it was a virtue to say, no, we're going to make everyone take off their shoes. We're not going... When the, uh, when the pictures of the uh, rusty guy, uh, stabber guy, start, uh, start percolating through the pictures, through the papers, none of us are going to be terribly surprised by that. Um, but... The, that's that was that was too that required too much courage from Mr. Minetta and from George W. Bush and the rest of them, and so instead they decided to create an all-powerful security state that, insofar as it caught uh, radical Muslims or Islamists or whatever you want to call them, who were on their way to commit. Um, some atrocity. It would only do so because they'd also caught everybody else as well. So they'd, they'd catch the radical Islamist only because they also uh, caught your granny and your four-year-old kid and uh, a, a little old lady with a leg caliper and all the rest of it. So that was the, that was the basis on which we fought the war on terror. And the full war on terror was a disaster because we spent 20 years uh, trying to hold barren bits of ground in Afghanistan, which is some of the most worthless real estate on the planet, even as we uh, surrendered some of the most uh, valuable, like uh, Dearborn, Michigan, or Marseille, or Molenbeek, or Malmo, or whatever. And then we move to, so that didn't make any sense. And now we see what, in a, in a way, we don't need to get too conspiratorial, but it's a simple fact to say now we can see what the last 20 years were training us for. 
You know, because if you've got uh, uh, 300 million people who, when they fly home for Thanksgiving, are content to shuffle shoeless through the airport, they're content to stand there in the Don't Tread on Me t-shirt while they're poured by uh, people sticking their hands in your underwear and all the rest of it. Uh, that's really good at training uh, uh, training up uh, a populace for what's coming next. And what's coming next is basically that the war on terror, which was a failure and which, as we saw in Afghanistan, basically we lost. Uh, the war on terror, uh, the tools of the war on terror won't be going away just because we lost the war. They instead applied domestically. And that is the big, that is the big connection. Uh, between these two events. So if you expect them to stop, you know, and again, I don't know. I I don't know. But I would imagine when that guy uh, uh, entered the Rushdie event, he could be pretty confident, even if he'd actually, you know, I'm sure he was doing his best to be low-key and fit in and all the rest of it. But even if he hadn't been, even if he just actually started, uh, you know, got down on his knees, stuck his bottom in the air and started praying towards Mecca, people, just because of how we've been trained, would say, oh, look, that's lovely. It's so nice to have a nice mall in our little bit of Western New York to have something as multicultural as this as a at a Salman Rushdie event. How lovely that is. Um, so that's that's what's happening now our enemies have the run of the plan and and it's summed up by the last two years there's a pandemic that's why you can't leave the house that's why nobody you can't have more than four people over for your thanksgiving dinner that's why people who live in separate houses can't go and meet and have social events that's why your kid has to run around in a mask Uh, when he's playing sports at school. That's why we have to jab everybody, even if it kills you. And at the same time, we have open borders. Open borders. Where even in the pan... Which, which, apart from anything else, whatever you think of immigration policy, they expose the whole pandemic protocols as total meaningless crap. Oh, yes, sir. I'm I'm, uh, going to wear... I'm Kamala Harris. I wear a mask in the open air and I go to meet foreign leaders. I look completely stupid because I stand there wearing a mask. But none of the people pouring across... The southern border have to wear masks or have to social distance or have to be tested for this thing. So we've accepted a situation that is complete crap, that makes no sense, but matches everything else about the Western world this century, is that you are the problem. You have to be micro-regulated. You have to surrender all your liberties. The right to wear shoes in an airport. Uh, the, The right not to have your genitals poured because you want to get on a plane. That's how it started. And then we crank it up a notch. So it's the right to go and see your loved ones in hospital. The right to choose who you spend public holidays with. Meanwhile, oh, at first... It was just the Muslims we wanted to give the run of the planet to. But hey, 
uh, we think we'll extend that to, in fact, anyone who isn't part of the Western world. So if you're some like uh, Latin American peasants, if you're Haitians or whatever, you can all come into it. It's, it's, that's what all this has in common. That's what this all has in common. That's what's consistent. And that's what they're not going to... They want you. You're the problem. You're killing the planet. The Somali guy, uh, you know, running around, uh, he, he may get mixed up with Al-Shabaab or whatever, and he may go and start stabbing people or whatever, but he hasn't got your carbon footprint. He doesn't want to ride around in an SUV. He doesn't think he should be able to set his air conditioning in the summer. So in the end, the Somali guy isn't the problem and you are. And that's how that's what all Western governments basically think now. Uh, Douglas says, Mark, what is one political position you had in the past decade that you now believe to be wrong? I'm struggling to understand your argument that China will get old before it gets rich. If, as you say, Beijing has already won. Well, I uh, use that line in 2006. And uh, demographically speaking, I would say it's uh, still it's it's still true. What has happened since then is that and, and when you write these doomsday books, at least if you're me, I can't speak for other people, but I write them because I don't want them to come true. So the the dearest, uh, my, my, my happy ending is that people read these books. They, they'd, they'd have read America Alone in 2006 or After America in uh, 2011, and they would have acted on it. And, uh, uh, and unfortunately, that's not how, you, you know, that's why you do anything. That's why I brought up, I didn't want those 1,500 guys going to Linton-on-Ouse in North Yorkshire. I wanted to stop it. I didn't, I didn't want some of the people we've had on the show who've been injured by the vaccines to have to sell their homes and to die destitute. I wanted the government to own up to what it had done to them creating a situation where the Queen says, the Queen says you're selfish if you don't get these shots. So uh, that that's why you do it. You do it to have an effect. And I would say in that sense, and, and so the, the Chinese thing is, as I always say, and I said in America alone, I said all our enemies are weak enemies and they're opportunistic enemies. And there are going to be problems for China with its the distortions of its one-child policy. Although, funnily enough, uh, China acted on America alone more decisively than anybody else did because it event it ended once Henry Kissinger picked up these lines. Oh, China will get old before it gets rich. Once uh, the uh, Henry Kissinger taken up that line, China acted on it and ended the one-child policy. The one thing that has changed for me, and I can't understand why it hasn't changed for other people after what happened uh, pretty much exactly a year ago, is that I am no longer in favor of American intervention anywhere. And it doesn't matter whether it's Afghanistan or it's Ukraine. Uh, I really don't think, I think 
America, the American way of, I, I don't want anybody. And I, it breaks my heart whenever I run into veterans and they have missing limbs because they did, you know, one tour too many in Afghanistan. I don't want to, I don't want any, anybody to have to go, and that includes America's allies, I don't want anybody to have to go into war under thoroughly modern Millie. I think the whole American way of war doesn't work. The shock and awe for 48 hours and the long, slow bleed over 20 years. I thought America was serious about how it waged these wars. I had a long conversation with, a couple of long conversations actually, about it with Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld, his big complaint was that, okay, you overthrow Saddam, then what? What happens then is that uh, you've got the military who are occupying the country and they do things. They get up every morning and they're going and patrolling and they're trying to secure the streets and the towns. You put uh, you put the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture in charge of Iraqi agriculture. You put the United States Treasury in charge of the Iraqi banking system, and they all. Uh, you put the U.S. This is the craziest one. You put the U.S. Department of Education in charge of the uh, Iraqi Department of Education. They those kids did nothing to deserve that, and that is the that is the big that is. At, at I certain America doesn't have an imperialist bone in its body. What I didn't realize, therefore, was that it had no substitute other than this crusader fort mentality, uh, whereby you just build a fortress in the middle of, uh, you know, some godforsaken, worthless bit of sod in Afghanistan. And inside the fortress, you've got Dunkin' Donuts and you've got Burger King. And outside, all your enemies have the run of Crapistan and all. So I don't, that's the been the biggest thing. I think the American way of war hasn't worked uh, since the end of the Second World War. And it needs total rethinking. And it needs, the US military needs to be smaller and nimbler. It doesn't, it shouldn't be in whatever it is now, a hundred countries. It does nobody any good. It doesn't do America any good. And it doesn't do those countries any good. And I have completely changed my opinion of that just because I think it's hard. And I used to go on Pentagon trips. I used to get asked you know, by uh, assistant uh, deputy undersecretaries of defense, if I'd want to go and see this or see that. And I went on a few of them, but I didn't really enjoy it because I didn't even believe it while I was there. I noticed all the things that were odd and that shouldn't be going on. And, um, and so now I, I don't think, I think the whole American way, I, I honestly think the Pentagon should be demolished. Uh, if you're going to have the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they should be relocated to Des Moines or whatever. Uh, it should be a dramatically reduced military. Um, because again, it's been, uh, uh, it's, it's been wholly corrupted. I started saying years ago that the, the, uh, the cultural Marxists took it as red that they had institutions like universities and national public radio. What 
they really wanted was what we think of as conservative institutions. Uh, and I mean, you know, not just the army and the Boy Scouts, but even things like country music, NASCAR, and uh, Chick-fil-A. You know, they want to turn those, and they've been largely successful in doing that. But there's nothing. You know, again, the U.S. Army Chief of Staff, when he was uh, talking about Major Hassan uh, shooting up uh, Fort Hood, and he said, as tragic as this event was, it wasn't tragic, by the way, it was a disgrace. He gave a, he's the first mass murderer to give a PowerPoint presentation on what it is he actually is going to do. And no one in the room, they all think it's in poor taste to mention it or take it up with anybody afterwards. Uh, but it, what, what it was, was a total disgrace, that. Um, and he said, but as tragic as it was, it would be even worse if our diversity were to suffer from it. And that's why I don't want America going into any of these countries again. Let's have a, I should just stay at home, have a dramatically reduced military. It'd be good for everyone. Good for America. Good for the planet. Uh, a little bit more music to close. Greece, uh, as you probably know, was a hit Broadway show. Uh, before it was a blockbuster movie. Uh, the score was by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, but when they made the picture, they bulked it up with songs by popular writers, and uh, they were the songs that became big sellers on the hit parade. Uh, the title number by Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees, uh, Hopelessly Devoted to You, that was a big hit for Olivia uh, by her pal and the one-time shadow, John Farrow. And then, of course, you're the one that I want. This song was the exception. One of the songs from the original show that became one of the biggest selling records of all time in the UK and many other places. One of my very best friends was going through a rather bad patch with the ladies. And he was prone to augment this song uh, with vocal interjections of maudlin self-examination. Tell me more, tell me more. Did you get very far? No! Tell me more, tell me more. Like, does he have a car? No! Because <laughs> at that time he wasn't getting very far and he didn't have a car. And ever since when I think of this record, I hear it with my pal's vocal annotations. Here's Livy with John Travolta and pretty much everybody else in the movie gets a line in this song. Oh, those summer nights. Summer loving had me a blast.
tell music and lyrics by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey in memory of Dame Olivia Newton-John A-C-D-B-E in Australia D-B-E-A-C in the UK. Full support from the rest of the movie cast that spoken line he sounds like a drag uh, was delivered by Stockard Channing who played the gum-chewing Rizzo. Since we're telling Hollywood tales today, I went on a kind of dinner date uh, with Miss Channing in the 80s. She was appearing in a play co-produced by an old pal of mine, and he thought she was a bit lonely coming off stage at the end of every performance, as it can be in the theatre night after night, uh, particularly if you're in a strange town where you don't normally reside. She is a terrific actress, a brilliant actress in um, the toughest kind of drama, uh, but she's smart enough uh, to know that when you get a role that connects you with the masses now and forever, you don't say no to that. A lot of people who were around in the actual 1950s don't like Greece. Paul Simon denounced it at great length to me once in the car, driving out to Montauk on uh, the, um, what is it, the eastern end of Long Island. He seriously loathes it. But if you're uh, younger than that, Greece benefits from a kind of double nostalgia, nostalgia for 70s nostalgia, about 50s nostalgia. The summers go so quickly, and like the song says, summer fling don't mean a thing, but some summer nights are forever. Rest in peace. Dame Livy. The 100 Years Ago show, Rick McGuinness's Saturday movie date, Stein Song of the Week, all coming up this weekend at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights Reserved.